we still just talk about what is happening now, but we should start thinking of what can we do better to avoid closing down the whole whole uh, globe if we have the risk of a pandemic, or at least how can we make it much shorter so that it doesn't shut down everything for two years, which has major, major consequences, not just for our economy, but for health and welfare also, especially in those countries which are not that well off. Hello, and welcome to Contain This. I'm Nick Harris, an advisor from the Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security. Before this week's episode, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of country throughout Australia and the region. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community, and we pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I recently attended the Global Health Security Conference in Singapore, where I spoke to virologist Professor Mika Selmanen about his work with the World Health Organization's Joint External Evaluations and State Parties Annual Reports. His work focuses on measurement systems of health outcomes, particularly in the context of COVID-19 and other potential global pandemics. Professor Selmanen is currently the Director of Health Security at the Finnish Institute for Health and Welfare a research and development institute which aims to promote the health and welfare of Finland's population. Prior to joining the institute more than 10 years ago, he was with the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control. He also holds the position of Adjunct Professor of Virology at the University of Helsinki. The global health community continues to examine how prepared we were for a pandemic. But Professor Salmonen argues that the conversations taking place now should be geared towards future resilience, particularly in terms of countries' health systems. He asks how we can put in place systems and processes to prevent us needing measures like prolonged shutdowns of global society and what this would mean for withstanding future pandemics. Thanks for, for joining us, Mick. I really appreciate your time. Um, I was just wondering whether you could give us a bit of a summary of the work, your recent work that you've been doing uh, on the joint external evaluations and the SPARs and the correlation or not with performance. Um, and, and if you could give us a bit of a summary too of what you led you into the, into uh-huh. the work. Uh-huh. A couple of years back, uh, before the pandemic, we did some work uh, looking at... Uh, at uh, the JE scores and the SPAR scores, the first version, SPAR core scores, and I think the second version, JE scores across countries and compared them with data from the World Bank uh, on indicators on health outcomes. And then on the other hand, on sociodemographic graphic, uh, um, indicators, um, risk factors and, and uh, enablers and, and things like that. And uh, <clears throat> we were interested to see if there was any kind of correlation um, uh, in in uh, in the, the simple question would be: Are rich countries better than than poor countries? And uh, if you have a good score in the JE, will that correlate with better health outcomes? And basically, the question is pretty much yes. Uh, not quite. Uh, so simple. Um, mostly it's yes, or if you look at uh, the JE SPAR indicators and the health outcomes, and especially uh, 
then communicable disease outcomes, there is a very clear linear cor correlation. Well, it's log linear, but still. So you can actually work out kind of a, how many lives do you save? Uh, disability adjusted life, yes. Uh, do you save for each uh, point on the scale uh, from that correlation? And then we see that <clears throat> those countries uh, that have a higher GDP and a higher GDP rate goes into healthcare um, do better, which makes sense, of course. Um, so that was taken as, as a strong sort of uh, suggestion that, that uh, uh, the JE that has actually been developed as part of the IHR and the IHR, the uh, whole point of the IHR is to create capabilities that would um, prevent and to a certain extent protect us from uh, the effects of pandemics. Um, <clears throat> so that was the hypothesis at that time. Now, of course, we couldn't test that hypothesis because there was, there was no pandemic, but then we got COVID. So we've been able to look at that. Uh, and what we see is that, unfortunately, it doesn't hold up. So uh, there is no clear correlation between J scores or SPAR scores, even within Europe, um, uh, with the hard outcome indicators, especially if you look at uh, population uh, death rates uh, due to COVID, which is the, maybe the most stable indicator. Um, there are countries with high JE scores that had quite a bad outcome, uh, lots of deaths uh, in, in relation to population, and then uh, vice versa the other way around. So, um, so that was a bit disappointing, and we're of course thinking of, of reasons why it would be like that. Yeah, so I guess that's sort of the next question is what, that lack of correlation with right. a good outcome. Right. What, what are the implications then, from from your point of view, for for the the JEs and the and the SPARs as, as measurement uh, systems? Yeah, <clears throat> I think I think the major problem with those early versions, so uh, especially, is that they are kind of geared towards the point where you still can prevent something or prevent it becoming a big issue, or prevent it becoming a multi-country issue. And for those, <clears throat> those uh, things, uh, it's quite good, those capabilities which are measured there, because that's what, what it's about. You check if you have the labs, you have, have the vaccine uh, vaccination program, you have the surveillance system, you have the outbreak investigations, and so on. Uh, those capabilities are enough for that. <clears throat> but then when you actually have completely new disease that takes over the entire world. It, it actually doesn't help. There is something else that you need. Um, and at least in the, in the European setting, the thing that failed was that our health systems were not resilient enough, uh, which meant that they were on the brink of, of being overwhelmed, which then meant that we had to do these quite draconian shutdowns of society which are kind of, you know, medieval tactics. They're not what you would think that uh, would happen in, in a modern society. 
it's very old school <laughs> quarantine. Yeah. And, uh, and I have not seen any plan yeah. in advance that actually thought about that. Uh, it was kind of considered impossible. So, um, so we need something else. And that's really uh, what I would hope that the, the measurement instrument also would look much more rigorously into health system resilience. We have to develop it also. But uh, if nobody looks at it, it doesn't happen by itself. And uh, I'm already a bit pessimistic that countries have learned from this. Yeah, so, uh, so then you're talking about resilience. Uh, yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about what, what that right. means and, right. then, and then also how you see that applying? You know, if we're trying to then measure that as mm. well, it's obviously got implications for sure. if we call it the JEE or some new form of that, but it's what's missing in the JEE that, yeah. would, that would speak to your capabilities and, and your right. preparedness around or your resilience. So, so it all goes back, of course, to what do you want to achieve? What, what is it actually that we're trying to do um, when we are faced with a pandemic? Um, so two things, I guess. One was that we wanted to minimize uh, mortality and morbidity, uh, illness and, and, and death. Uh, that is kind of hard because <clears throat> it's a new disease. We don't have any drugs. We don't have any vaccines. So you can't do that with them, those tools. Um, then we want to make sure that the health system is not so overwhelmed that all other care is, uh, is jeopardized um, because you put everything on, on COVID. And that is where we could do something. Uh, we could build a stronger system that would be, and what I mean with resilience is that, that um, you know, in the Finnish plans, we kind of, expected that, okay, we take, take the people from other sectors of, of the health system, um, people doing other things, not infectious disease management, and we put them under infectious disease management. Uh, and that works, but only for a certain time, because all the other things start stacking up. So what we would really need is, is to do something similar that they do in the, in the defense forces, where the whole defense force is there, with the hope that they will never be needed, actually, unless you are an aggressive, <laughs> aggressive nation. I don't think Australia is, and Finland certainly is not. So, um, so it means that you have to have extra, because if you don't have extra, when the crisis hits, you're in trouble. So I think we have been too efficient with the health systems, and uh, and that needs to change if we are serious about not wanting to, you know, repeat the same things with the next pandemic. And the amazing thing is that this was very, very expensive. Uh, and I'm not sure it would be more expensive, actually, to invest a bit more in the health systems. Yeah, so we, we have to work out a level of redundancy that we're, yeah, exactly. that, that is what we need and yes. that we can... Redundancy and some sort of, of surge capacity, which is not capitalizing on other activities within the health system. Be it then that we have some sort of uh, you know, extra personnel who have some training, 
that can be brought in from other sectors temporarily. Uh, can we be uh, a bit lax in what we usually require? For example, there are countries that did this. Denmark used uh, people who were quickly trained to do testing and to do vaccination. They were not medical personnel. And they could very quickly then scale up that activity. In Finland, it's legally not possible. And, uh, and the unions are absolutely against it. And, and that is a very bad thing in, in, a, in a pandemic action. So, so we could have used um, students uh, to do this work. Uh, instead, they, uh, they really uh, capitalized on school health care, on dental care, uh, to find the people who do the testing and uh, tracing and all kinds of tasks which you really don't necessarily have to have a medical education. Yeah, okay. And so in terms of then measuring that, a future state mm. that's re more resilient, yeah. how do you see that then? Is that the sort of thing then that you would also be trying to measure in something yeah, like the AEE? And, and how do you see the changes that would be required there? So, uh, so I think this is what they have tried to do. Actually, in the latest version, there's a new version of JE coming out. Uh, the SPAR already has something like this. To be honest, those tools are kind of crude. Um, and we have too many tools, actually. You know, if you look at what the United Nations and, and just the health sector in the United Nations asks every uh, member states to report on, I think there's... There's tens of different annual reporting forms and, and uh, evaluation systems in there, and we could we could we could do with less. Uh, but certainly, I mean that that is uh, an area which which we would need to invest in in to looking at um, building also accountability and and also selling it to the to those uh, decision makers who we work for that uh, we are prepared to pay for that even if it would cost a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess that, that sort of leaves us with the, yeah, the where to next. Mm -hmm. Is that a discussion that is purely a national one or is it, a, is it an international one as well? And, it should and be. How do, you see, yeah, how do you see the balance of that and, and how yeah, that would play out? It has to, of course, go down to the national level because each each country has their own health health system and it's differently organized. So, so uh, one size model will not fit all. You have to come up with the same with with different solutions in different countries based on how your system works. But uh, what I I see missing at the moment in the international discussion, maybe it hasn't started, but it should start soon, is that. Okay, so we had this pandemic. Uh, we did things that we didn't plan for. Are those things the things that we will do next time? Or do we need to think of something better? I haven't seen that discussion even start. That we, we still just talk about what is happening now, but we should start thinking of what can we do better to avoid closing down the whole, whole uh, globe if we have 
the risk of a pandemic, or at least how can we make it much shorter so that it doesn't shut down everything for two years, which has major, major consequences, not just for our economy, but for health and welfare also, especially in those countries which are not that well off. Yeah, and and so I guess where do you see maybe in the in the international space, where do you see those conversations best happening? Are, are they like early and when they're maybe a bit trickier? Are, are they are they sort of academic conversations or are they actually in the multilateral space? They would <clears throat> they would need to be taken up to certainly the academic space needs to chip in because. Because they are independent and they can they can be objective in a different way than that uh, that governments can often uh, sometimes they can be over optimistic but but still uh, that it's a necessary part of it but eventually it needs to come up on the on the multilateral uh, fora in, in the United Nations in the also more on the uh, the whole of society uh, fora not just health because. Uh, the pandemic was not just a health, health issue; it was a whole of of society uh, crisis. Yeah, and that well, it sort of leads us in a little bit to. I'm going to ask one of my sort of pet uh, questions or, sure. or issues. Uh, I'm a vet and epidemiologist by training, yeah. and for me, one of the interesting questions around the discussion now is is the balance between. Uh, prevention, preparedness or detection, mm. and there's some grey around the definitions there and, and then response. So I'm curious, maybe in just a very broad brushstrokes, mm. uh, what your sense is of the, the, where the concentration of conversation is around those sort of three elements as we're looking forward from the, the pandemic. So, I mean, it's quite obvious that that before the pandemic, especially many countries had, did not have the basic um, basic uh, things in place in terms of preventive measures, in terms of actually knowing what is happening, uh, surveillance and and uh, and uh, monitoring. Uh, that's quite clear. Um, part of that has actually been remedied. Uh, we need to make sure that we still keep it and we could broaden it so that it's not just COVID because COVID is just one disease among many others. So, so that needs to, needs to lead to a, a kind of permanent strengthening of these, uh, these capabilities across the board in, in all countries, basically, eventually. Um, but, uh, I think there's also the need then to um, think hard about what we do when when we have tried to prevent, but it didn't ha- it didn't work, and then it's going to happen again. I mean, it, I think it's over optimistic. Even if we pour lots of money into into those preventive tools that we have now, that we can guarantee that there will not be another pandemic in the in the world, and I think that would be naive. So, so we have to think also on how to manage the pandemic when it happens. Yeah. Right. Well, look, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Sure. Really appreciate it. Thanks. 
You've been listening to Professor Mika Selmanen from the Finnish Institute for Health and Welfare. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Professor Selmanen on the importance of future-proofing our health systems in preparation for the next pandemic. Contain This is produced by the Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Centre Health Sec. Please join us for our next episode where we will bring you another highlight of the Global Health Security Conference in Singapore. Music